Hello folks, welcome to Switch. The cricket season has arrived. Is it raining? I hadn't noticed. And we are in the foothills of an ashes summer. James Anderson and Stuart Broad are cruising around the county circuit. Stephen Smith will be over here shortly. And if you like that sort of thing, the IPL is on too. Strange as it is to relate, there's not been any England action, men's or women's, over the last month or so. But the championship has started, we've seen the release of a fresh wisdom and the subplots for the season are starting to form. The Dukes, for instance, seems to be behaving less like a rolled up piece of plasticine, as that man board described it this time last year. Anyway, joining me here in the studio to pick at the seam of the English game with high skill and low cunning are two men who don't mind getting their whites muddy. ESPN and Crick Info, UK editor Andrew Miller and assistant editor Vatushan Hantaraja um, Miller. I know you're physically knackered, but uh, <laughs> is it with a refreshed mind and renewed spirit that you greet the new season? Oh, oh God, yes. I mean, I've got some... It did get to the point a couple of weeks ago, I was walking the dog uh, out on Hackney Marshes, as I, as, I'm, as I want to do, and it was bloody cold, it was bloody overcast, and I was thinking, this is rubbish. It was probably the worst dog walk I've ever had, because, you know, I can put up with it in midwinter, but when it gets to April, and you mm. think, it's still rubbish weather, it's still bloody cold, I'm actually bored, I want sunshine and then suddenly it arrives and it's like ah hallelujah and the kingfishers are, are on the river and everyone's happy and yeah bring it on um yeah so yes in, in short uh, the sap is rising and I'm, I'm 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 up for it the the warmth is coming up through the the bones um fish i'm wondering whether your uh, love of knitwear goes well with the weather we've been having uh, about now yeah i have a window of about a month where my wardrobe is at its height really um <laughs> and it's when it's Sunny but cold, so um, I, yeah, I, you know, I don't have a dog, but I do have a wardrobe that is appropriate for this weather, so yeah. I don't mind it at all, actually. Yeah, yeah, and obviously, uh, we can all sit and watch it rain from the press boxes, we're, we're well used to that. Um, we will come to the fun and frolics of uh, the county championship in April, but um, we're going to do some serious podding first here. Um, it's been a few weeks since, but we should discuss the verdict of the ECB's Cricket Disciplinary Commission, uh, which cleared Michael Vaughan of making a racist comment back in 2009, as alleged by Azim Rafiq and the ECB. Um, the CDC did find five other defendants, Matthew Hoggard, Tim Bresnan, John Blaine, Andrew Gale and Rich Pyra, guilty of bringing the game into disrepute. Miller, uh, you attended some of the hearings and you've obviously followed this closely over the two and a half years uh, since Rafiq's story emerged. Aside from waiting to hear about the appeals and sanctions, uh, wh where does the game go from here? An easy one to start with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, is a, it is an unholy mess that the game's got itself into, because as far as I'm concerned, the, the wrong questions have been asked of probably the right people, but in the wrong context. And by, by that, I mean, it's, uh, it's clear that there is an issue with institutional racism within English cricket. I think that is abundantly clear. And the fact that we're talking about it, and the fact that we are probably stopping to think a little bit more about how we report instances and how, how we phrase our, our wording about whatever it may be that comes across, I think we've all learned something along the way, in the, even, as, even as recently as you know 2020, um, with everything that kicked off with the Black Lives Matter movement and, and then Rafiq stuff and all the rest of it coming out of the pandemic and just generally had a bit of a reality check. I think everybody has, has learned something from this process, but unfortunately, because of the way the CDC hearings happened, and, and as I described it before, the sort of circular absurdity of, of the ECB prosecuting 
a limb of its own body for misdemeanors, which you know it's essentially like you know blaming your middle finger, the brain blaming blaming the middle finger for flipping the bird. You know, it, it, it doesn't work like that. You know, you're all at fault here. It, you can't just say that you know Michael Vaughan said something nasty in. 2009, therefore, that's all laid on him. To be fair to Azim Rafiq, right back at the start of all of this, at DCLS hearings, he did say, Let, I don't want to make this about mm. individuals. And then, of course, a, a whole range of names spilled out in the course of that hearing, and, and here we are. So further down the line, it has very much been about individuals. Uh, and so it is, you know, I have a degree of sympathy for the various players who have been thrust into the spotlight. I, I'm sure they regret their actions. I'm also sure that their actions were undertaken within a context where it was accepted is the wrong word, but it was commonplace. And therefore, you know, you can't you can't draw a line and say that from 2009 onwards we are judging you for misdemeanours, and then say, well, you know, 2000, 2009 and previous is too far into the into history. We, we we're not going to go that go back there. It, you know, the whole process has been one in which actions have been permissible within the game because nobody has stopped to think that they aren't permissible and i think now genuinely we've reached a point where people are actually stopping to think yeah okay that's not right we can't do that so um i think we've got somewhere but in terms of the sanctions in terms of michael vaughan being cleared for for what he may or may not have said on the outfield or whatever i mean i think i thought richard gould summed it up best actually he said that rafiq has been vindicated i think he has been vindicated you know you can't you can't uh you can't not be. He he made a point and said, you know what has gone on. My experience at Yorkshire has not been right, and it's abundantly clear at the end of his level of the process. Anyway, we've got the, we've got the Equity Commission mm. to come, and God knows what that will that will bring up. Bring up. But in terms of Yorkshire and Rafiq, I think we've reached a degree of closure, and I, I agree. He's been vindicated. He he brought this up, and all of us as a consequence of him being brave enough to put his head above the parapet and say, you know what, I don't care what you throw at me. This is my lived experience. I'm going to tell you about it. I feel like that, that, that part of it is like, more well, fair play. Um, let's, let's try to piece together things from here and move on. Uh, Miller's saying there, sort of, we've learned something, uh, each of us, uh, <coughs> through kind of observing and in some cases participating um, in that process. Um, Vish Vaughan himself afterwards um, in a statement, a lengthy statement about about the, um, what he'd been through, he described the the CDC specifically um, the disciplinary hearing as inappropriate, inadequate, and a backward step. I mean, where do you stand um, on how important it was to uh, you know for, for everything that had been um, alleged and, and and for everyone to sort of have their um, their time in court, I suppose, uh, to, to put it that way, uh, th- th- for those allegations all to be heard and to be investigated thoroughly. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily agree with all three of those words that Michael Vaughan used. Um, it, I do agree that it was inadequate, though. Um, and it was inadequate because of how rushed it was and how ill-equipped the ECB were to deal with this kind of situation, even though they'll tell you that CDC is an independent arm, not necessarily belonging of the ECB, but they've got a pretty clo- close relationship, and they were ultimately the ECB was stating the case against the six defendants. Um, I, th- I think all I could think about during the process was, and I include, you know, two, when it started a year ago, eighteen months ago, in terms of the fact that we knew we were going to come 
to a CDC hearing was that when it's over, not that things will be great, but that's when the game can move forward a bit more. Because, you know, one, one of the things that Vaughan said in his statement was that he felt it was too adversarial. And mm. I suppose it had to be anyway, because A, Rafiq couldn't come to the table with complaints, but then no one who, you know, made these comments. They were all, those names are always going to come out. Michael Vaughan used his Telegraph column to bring himself out. Gary Valence was one of the first names leaked. He obviously didn't go and defend himself at the CDC because he had admitted to the charges originally. Um, and then, because of the framing of it, and because of the fact that Michael Vaughan was the highest pro had the highest profile of the six, and you know, conversely, the weakest case to answer, really, because it was very much he said, he said, mm. that kind of put a spin on it where this was deemed wholly inadequate by by you know everyone, even especially casual observers from the outside. The thing I think going forward is that I think people people's behaviours will be different going forward. I think one of the things that Gould, Gould said, which, uh, again, I don't actually agree with, and he said, you know, banter's become a, a dirty word, banter's become a curse word. I was like, well, no, because banter is a two-way street. You know, I can make jokes with you and I can make jokes with Miller and I can't make jokes, those same jokes with a stranger. Everyone has that relationship you, with you everyone You better else. not try that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, I, th I think it just misunderstands that you know, there is there is an under the, the modern um, modern cricketer because of modern society has a better understanding of people around them. Uh, the differences between you and I, for example, and back then that wasn't the case, even though it wasn't that long ago. And the reason it wasn't the case is because county cricket at that time, and it's not just the Yorkshire dressing room as we know and we're about to see in the ICEC. Um, was a place where those attitudes were allowed to fester, where there wasn't as much education. You know, I, I've just, you know, we've had Rabadan recently, we've had the um, counties just being a bit more aware of that, mm. having outreach to, you know, Muslim groups in, in particular, or whether it's, you know, even just tweeting or talking about other holidays. Talking you know. about fasting or whatever. Yeah, like even, you know, it was, um, you know, during Seder at Lords, um, there was an announcement going around the Tannoy about how there, at the um, the MCC library, there was a exhibition about um, Judaism, Judaism in Eng English cricket. Even things like that, which might to some people seem as um, maybe perfunctory or just, you know, for show. All that kind of, you know, has a difference in educating whether it's, the people who are playing the game or the people who are watching the game. So in that regard, I think going forward, the game is in a better place in terms of the actual CDC process and everything that's gone through it and what we've, you know, what we've heard from the people who were charged and, you know, John Blaine, his interview in The Telegraph talking about, um, you know, suicidal mm. thoughts and things like that. I don't think anyone comes out of it with any kind of closure whatsoever. But because of that, I think we, at the very least, know where we have to make up in terms of whether it's judicial process or just just how we are. Yeah, I guess it's messy and it's life, isn't it? And it's kind of an ongoing thing. Um, I mean, Miller, you mentioned the um, Independent Commission for Equity in Cricket uh, report. That's expected in June, I think, something that um, Richard Gould alluded to uh, in his briefing earlier this month. Um, there's, there's a report uh, at Essex, uh, Catherine Newton QC, I think, investigation into... Uh, historic allegations there. Um, it, it, do you think that this is um, inevitably a conversation we're going to have to keep having? And, and it's important that we do, I guess. 
It is very important, and it's, but it's important we have the right conversation. And I just don't think cricket is having the right conversation yet. And I, I'm not convinced, you know, judging by uh, there's reports about the there's a briefing document that the counties have had circulated ahead of this equity commission, because obviously we've been expecting it for months mm. and it's still still waiting. So we're still going to have a response at some stage. And, you know, the ECB have been reasonably proactive about it. They've, they've given a briefing document basically explaining what is institutional racism. So presumably... That's going to head off the past so we don't get the sort of idiotic scenes we had at the, the DCMS hearing, for instance, where you get county chairman blethering about you know, blacks prefer football and, and, and Asians prefer studying and that's why they don't come through the system. I mean, all that sort of nonsense that has been allowed to just be spouted as not just as gospel, but, but you know, from county chairmen who think that, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to say this from my safe pulpit within the, within my, within the county pavilion and... It doesn't matter what I say because I'm preaching to the people who I'm preaching to. You know, you're not. You're talking to the wider game now. We need to, we need to open up that conversation. Um, and funnily enough, I think I think it's it, it, it's kind of interesting with the with the coronation happening next week. I believe genuinely a lot of the lot of the conversations that will be will be happening around the coronation, you know, around the institutional racism within the, within the monarchy and the, you know, I'd be interested to see quite what uh, steps they have to take to to modernize without losing the integrity of of the monarchy i mean who knows but i, I believe koh Noor, the, the infamous diamond won't be won't be involved in the in the uh in in the coron in the crown jewels for example so these are these are all issues i think that are going to be pertinent to how cricket moves forward because let's face it cricket comes from pretty much the same same origins as as as, as, the, as the monarchy the Cricket establishment and empire. <laughs> you and i you and i were in the committee room um last week um for the for um the mm. um cricket writers club agm and on the walls of the cricket of, of, of the committee room you've got all the presidents the earl of this and the marquis of that and the and, uh, duke of edinburgh is up there as well you've got the admiral of the fleet we were, we were, we were working in fact so, you know he was he was the guy who evacuated gallipoli uh, during the first world war and there was another guy field marshal so-and-so who yeah. I, I believe um mined the front line at Messine in, in 1917 and created the most enormous explosion in human history. <laughs> these are the guys... Great guys. All these of are the guys who have, been, who have set the framework for English cricket. You know, they, they established... They are the establishment, they are the institution that has set the parameters by which the game has, frankly, failed to modernise. And so, you know, we've got this... this I go back to the, the original point I was making about the, 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 this briefing document saying, what is institutional racism? And frankly, I'm having, having a glance at the sort of key pull-out pull out quote, I don't have it to hand, but it was, it was sort, of, uh, sort of, you know, privileges and, and, and what have you, uh, you know, people do lived experience and all sorts, all sorts of wo words that I think are important and, and all very worthy, but are they the sort of words that people who probably don't want to hear them are going to hear? You know, the, the type of people who are going to bolt the doors of the pavilion and say, that's just woke nonsense. Um, I'm not convinced... We're going to be able to have a the frank conversation the game needs if if this equity commission sort of nails cricket for just being what it is rather than saying okay cricket is what it is because it has come from this corner and the, as far as I'm concerned the failure of cricket has been to modernise as it's gone along you've ended up with a situation where I don't know the hundred for instance is is exactly the sort of Mickey Mouse, wrong, wrong environment to say that, but you know what I mean? There's all, there's all we, of, we love Mickey Mouse, we, uh, we, we, just we in love case Mickey any Mouse, of Mickey, our bosses Mickey, are listening. There's, there's only Ma one Mickey Mouse. There's only one Mickey Mouse, and frankly, it's, 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 it's so far removed from the lived experience of most people who like cricket that anyone who has not grown up 
with the institution that is English cricket automatically despises the hundred. It, it's it's an adversarial situation we've got there, and and joining those two positions I think is a far more complex process than than I think. And you know I haven't seen the equity commission report. I'm, I, it may blow me away with its with its wisdom and its insight into what it's what it's in investigating, but I'm not holding my breath. I don't believe it's going to scratch the surface of quite what a deeply entrenched institution English cricket actually is. That's that's a really, really good point because I think people by now know what the game is. Even people with the best intentions know exactly what the game is. And while this report is important, you need solutions, or at least suggestions for solutions rather than, oh yeah, and then you did this in 2019 and then you did that in 2017. Um, and... I think may, maybe the thing that it's going to do, which, which we don't necessarily know the scale of, the true scale of, is when it comes to sexism, for example. I think that's a, a huge part of the ICEC report that I think people are now cottoning onto, not least with that briefing document. Um, but there's also, yeah, th there's also a sense that, like, especially when you're talking to people who are resistant to change, you kind of, you do have to meet them more than halfway. You can't constantly be telling those people how bad they are. You kind of, you almost need to, and I hate myself for saying this, but this is the levels we're working with here. You almost have to incentivize change mm. and show them, like, actually, you know what? If if you if you just do this, this, and this, look at your look how your audience widens, and look how you know suddenly you don't have the issues that are specifically in county cricket that are, that are holding you back or sending you under. Um, that's yeah, as as Miller said, that's that's exactly what we need to do. We just can't have another series of. Right, another year of introspection and people getting a bit pissed off about that and pissed off about this. Um, for the record, it's why my position on the new tournament for English cricket has changed over the years. In 2008, and I've talked about this before, the Brad Bradshaw-Stewart plan to try to modernise English T20 cricket and create a, a sort of uh, prototype IPL within the confines of English cricket, I was all for it because I thought this is an opportunity for the counties to embrace the opportunity to check for to change as it comes along you know they've invented t20 only a few years ago here's a chance to craft the thing that they've created you, you put some table let's let's make this better for you and they said no we'll throw it out the window trashed it before they looked at the document missed the chance to modernize through t20 cricket and then end up with 100 which as i say i still i still just it great it makes me grate my teeth it it really annoys me how how unsympathetic to the, the status quo that tournament is in a way that I think you know even the big bash or the IPL or certainly the SA20 which I think actually is probably the the best example of a of a, a tournament new tournament springing out of you know what we've got something here that that isn't working for us anymore who people aren't watching cricket but we've got some lovely grounds and we, we've got some good players let's just open the doors and have a catching competition and see what happens and lo, lo and behold they love it you know that that's a much more organic version than we've got with 100 which as i say is just adversarial so um that's that is the that is the conundrum the the, the failure to modernize the failure to evolve for 200 years frankly although you know 150 when it comes to international cricket the failure to to just move with the times for so long and then suddenly you get, you get to the top of the flight of stairs you've got to fall down it to, to catch up with where you ought to be and um, that's the problem that English cricket has got um, and so yeah good luck solving it <laughs> I think uh, we'll just have to add 
to the list of, of things that people object to about the 100, not solving uh, historic problems with racism and diversity. Um, we won't uh, go into uh, what the solutions should be here and now. Uh, I guess that's for the report, <laughs> and then we'll discuss that in future episodes. Um, and yes, before we come over uh, all tofu-eating wokarati, let's, let's head to the shires um, and talk about um, some on-field action rather than uh, pointing across rooms and uh, going through um, the tape from 15 years ago to see what was on Sky Sports or wasn't. Um, we are already three rounds into the county championship, which is almost 25% of the season. A statement to uh, some fans as chilling as anything found in the Strauss report. <laughs> uh, what has stood out for you, Vish? You've had some quite eventful uh, fixtures to attend well, had, in well, the I've last... Had, I've had results. You you know, I've, I've had three three results. I haven't seen a draw yet, which is... Probably, Even um, though, you know, basball in the Shires means draws are no more, except weather obviously means they are, but... Uh... Yeah, yeah, sure. Although it's funny, isn't it? Because cause actually county cricket has been played like that. You know, and, you know, county cricketers will tell you how much they love rain, but, but if there is an opportunity to, to, you know, fashion a result from something, they do generally try. Uh, you know, I was talking about this to someone in the uh, Lord's Press Box for the Middlesex Nottingham game just gone. Um, you know, back in 2017, I think it was, Northants and Derbyshire in April concocted a game out of nowhere because they'd lost maybe two days' worth of play due to rain. And um, what it, en- it ended up being a Northants win, but um, there was a farcical situation where when there was declaration bowling, Derbyshire ended up breaking their opening, their, their record for the first wicket, basically. And the Derbyshire ac- account was tweeting it out. Because you know they had to, they had to play along, didn't they? And people were like, no, "This is not a real, this is not a real record." It's like, "Well, the runs are there. You know, what are you going to do?" Um, but county cricket has always been a bit like that. But nowadays, like, well, now you know, the start of the season, I think teams feel a bit more emboldened, and players feel a bit like they're doing something greater. I think it was interesting that um, Ben Duckett and uh, Stuart Broad on on Instagram um, made posts after Nottingham declared overnight and set um, Middlesex two five nine. It was Play only began at 3.30 on the final day. Nottinghamshire had the run of the game for the first three days. And then because of the rain, they declared. And they declared, understandably, with only 40 overs to go, because Middlesex, with all due respect to their batting order, have been utterly woeful. You know, they were four for four in the, fir- the first <laughs> time I watched them bat, the first time they batted in the season. They collapsed just as badly, maybe 15 for three in the second innings. And then they got turned over by North Ants. Fared better in the, this time around the first innings, but they knew that you know they had they could had a clean shot of getting ten wickets in forty overs. Middlesex ended up winning by six wickets, and then Stuart Broad and Ben Duckett um, tweeted about you know this is how we want to play the game, proud of this team, this that and the other. And I get it; it's very much an England thing. It's very much you know that's what Stoke said after England mm. lost at Wellington. <laughs> this is you know I'm so I'm so proud to play for this team. There's a similar thing going on in Durham. Um, Speaking to people who've played them and speaking to Durham players as well in terms of training, they're very much embracing it because they all, you know, you can guarantee 10 wickets. Certainly, you know, Chesterley Street has changed over the last couple of years, but the way they see it, they've got the bowlers to take 10 wickets. They play on, you know, spicy Division 2 surfaces. Why not just go out and chin it, basically? And they nearly, you know, even though they were playing at, um, at Glamorgan, their game almost, well, pretty much was a draw, most of it got lost to rain. They nearly pulled off a mm. hell of a result there. And that's just through, you know, keep, from a bowling point of view, keeping catches in and 
doing this that, and the other. So yeah, there is the basketball element there, but I, I would I would also say the counties have been playing like this for a, for a long long time. Uh, there not been no new tricks here, Miller. No, uh, I mean the county cricket is incredibly pliable, incredibly malleable. You know the depth and the breadth of of games. The fact they play so bloody often as well, it it just helps in some ways. I think uh, I can't remember one of the Aussies um, Aussie players was making this point. Is you know when they when they play. Uh, first-class cricket in in Australia, obviously, it's a rare beast. You know, Sheffield Shield, you get get your get your limited opportunities, and therefore, you're almost a little bit more cautious about about cutting loose. English cricket, you are going to be back on the field next week, so what the what the hell? Go go for your reverse reverse switch it, long sweep over fine leg or whatever, and 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 go for your life. And and I think that is, again, it's one of the great strengths of county cricket is you do away with that that breadth. And depth of opportunity at your peril. Frankly, it's all it's all very well talking about paring it down to make sure that every time you play, it's the most elite version of of, of play you can get outside of international cricket. It's like, well, no, actually, I'm not sure that not sure that's entirely the right way to look at it. If you, if you want to create breadth of opportunity and, and and get kids coming through, I mean, look at you know James Rue, for instance, you know, kid who mm. who, who made his name in the under 19s uh, last year. He's got his opportunity at, at Somerset. He's seizing it. And would he have got his opportunity if there were only six, eight teams? Be potentially, he'd be sitting on the bench still. Um, so you know, you're right. I, I do agree that county cricket is is actually very good at uh, adapting. Even even the moment bad's ball happened last year, you had Sussex, uh, Ali Orr, I think it was, uh, chased down something ridiculous. The first time they've won in a- ages, chasing 300. It's like, you know what? We've okay, we're going to try a bit of that, are we? Let's, let's give it a go. Um, so yeah, um, it, it's been it's been fun. I've um, yeah, I was down at uh, you know having said all that, the only cricket I've seen so far was was uh, Anderson versus Cook briefly down at down, down at, down at um, Chelmsford, which was literally it was, it was like it was like it was it was like spotting a osprey. You know, it's like that's a that's a rare beast flown flown it's down to Chelmsford. Civil War reenactment, I think you described <laughs> yeah, it. Uh, yes, uh, yes, it was a civil war reenactment on, on, on one of the, the channels. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, I suppose that, that Cook versus Anderson is very much like. Test cricket, but live action role play, isn't it? <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> well, it, was, it, was, it was a lot of yeah. fun. It was only 20 balls in the end. And it, it ended annoying. Well, they obviously got the first ball and the second, the duck in the second innings, but, but that LBW was, yeah, uh, a ropey one. I'm not, not well, sure. there was some discussion, I think, Anderson on his podcast uh, about how Cook had been messaging him screenshots and stills of, you know, how, how much it was obviously going down leg. Anderson's been messaging a lot of players. It's true abroad. We spoke to him at Lords and he was saying that Anderson messaged him because I think in, in two weeks time Lancashire go to Trent Bridge and it's one of the games that Anderson abroad have, are mm. both going to play in. And so uh, Anderson's just been playing at Taunton where it's flat and Broad said he messaged him asking if he can have a word and that, you know, you get your wickets, I'll get mine but make sure this, yeah, but for that we need a bit of green on that pitch. And he was like, Stuart Broad saying, it's not, not entirely up to me. So. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, Jimmy might have been bowling on a on a flat one at Taunton, but um, worth recording that he took a five for Miller. That's the seventeenth consecutive English summer in which he has taken a five for. Um, he's taken twenty one out of twenty two overall. I mean, we sort of know he's quite good, don't we? But he's, he's, quite, he's, quite good, <laughs> he's still very much he's, quite good into his forties. <laughs> <laughs> he's winning me round. I give it another ten years. Yeah, I mean, there's, no, there's literally nothing left to say about him. He's, he's, he's an absolutely preposterous machine. But, but you know, he, equally, he he benefits in to some degree from from the fact that that you know the way in which 
the county county game has provided options for England means that you know he can be parked in the garage for for pretty much most of the year because you know he's not required for ODI cricket, he's not required for domestic uh, white ball games. He, he just gets rolled out to to rev up his 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 purring old engine and um, and and do do the business and and then can go and rest up and do what he needs to do. It's a lovely existence and he's incredibly good at at, at, at doing it. And you know, can he go on? Of course he can go on. Will he go on? I guess we'll see what happens in the ashes, but I, he is he's as good as he's ever been right now. And so long as he's as good as he possibly can be, I see absolutely no reason why he would think he'll get to the end of the summer and think, you know what, I'm done. He's not done. He'll, he'll only be done when he can't perform to the level that he believes he can. Because he, he actually, you know, between the grumping and, 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 and the, you know, he dropped the most horrific catch the other day, which, <laughs> you know, I can imagine that the, 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 the pelters he'll have got for that will, will, will make him consider his options. But, you know, between all the grumps, he, he genuinely just loves the game. He loves the craft. He loves the, you know, the ability just to, just to push his own limits endlessly and reinvent himself, which he has done. He's done at least three, probably four times. He's not the same bowler he was in in 2003 he's definitely not the same bowler he was in 2010 he's probably not the same bowler he was in about 2015 it's probably the last real and then then post uh post pandemic um you know we're just in all the fact that he, he emerged from that at all and and now he's just rolling it through it's uh, it, it's preposterous but um long may it last cause it's it's rather nice to rather nice to see who's the uh who's that japanese footballer who's uh oh, 55 king kazu yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, the the funny so two things to pick up on, on what Miller said. Um, I think COVID massively helped Anderson. He said it was the first time he put, got a proper a rest and be the chance to actually go into a gym and, and actually try to f- figure himself out and reinforce himself. Um, and he ended up coming out of that summer, albeit they didn't play that much cricket at all. But he ended up bowling as fast as he had done in the previous four seasons, I think. Um, and the other thing, when Anderson plays county cricket, as I saw with Broad last week because they play so little other cricket, they actually put a lot into it. Mm. And if you, you know, when you talk to batters who've played against Anderson, they will tell you that he's, he doesn't, certainly doesn't save any words for test cricket. He, um, <laughs> the amount of times he's, he's told players. I don't know what you could be referring to. Well, the amount of times he's told players in the county championship, some who've scored hundreds of him, that they're the <laughs> player he's ever seen. <laughs> um, the idea that like, he still has that kind of level of aggro. Um, there, there was, uh, Ethan Bamble was telling, um, you know, t- telling Nick Friend, who's a, you know, journalist for the cricketer, who also plays club cricket with Ethan. That um, Stuart Ball came out, Bamble bowled a bouncer to him, and Broad, Broad said, "You know, you have to be about twenty-five mile an hour quicker to scare me with one of those." <laughs> <laughs> so you know, they're giving a bit back, and I, I, you know, there, there are, you know, funny anecdotes in there, but I do think that that is an important thing to bring that kind of level of intensity, to almost. That arrogance to be like, you know, this is fun, you know, this is your job and I'm using it to train up for that. So, you know, if you want to come there as well, you've got to up your levels here. We talk about, you know, peerless craft and the skill required and... Uh, no one ever talks about the mouth, do no, they? It's just no, as important. You're this. Just as important. That's when I've ever bolted. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, it's nicely segued on to Broad, really, but um, everything this uh, in these few weeks, and in fact, you know, this whole summer is an ashes summer. Everything is due to that prison. Uh, we're going to you know, beard the kangaroos. Um, Stuart Broad, 
openly admitted that his his latest technical tweak um, working on this outswinger was designed uh, with Marnus and Smith in mind. Uh, Should should they be worried? Um, Yes. (laughs) I I mean, yes, no, maybe. Um, I like the idea that he he took a page out of Shane Warne's book, talking about new delivery, but... (laughs) It's an away swigger. And he plays... For a right-arm seamer. Yeah. I imagine, actually, when Broad plays poker, he plays with the cards face up on the table. Because he's like... Because you're playing the man. It doesn't matter about the hand, does it? Um, yeah, it, it was brilliant, really. But I suppose it kind of... You know, uh, Miller was talking about Anderson and, like, you know, will he go on beyond the, the summer? I think the thing with Broad is, I think we thought Broad was on, on the edge ever since that COVID... The first game in COVID against the West Indies where they left him out mm. you know Joe Root wasn't captain Ben Stokes was but that felt like quite a seminal moment and then when one of the things he always he's, he's always rallied against is the idea that he's been tethered to Anderson I actually think that's helped him in the last couple of years the fact that he and Anderson were left out of the Caribbean tour in 2021 after the Ashes I think that helped him as well I think if it was one then the other if Broad goes on the trip and Anderson doesn't no one's asking the question where if it was the other way around, you're thinking, right, that's probably it for Broad. And certainly he made inquiries during that 2022 summer of, right, shit, is this, you know, maybe I need to look elsewhere. There was stuff about, you know, Sky gig and this, that and the other. And obviously he'll probably, that's where he's going to end mm, up anyway. That's the sort of expectation, um, isn't it? But if you look at over the winter, he obviously didn't go to Pakistan because he, he you know, had his first child, but he spent a lot of that pre-season working on this new release that he's, now he's working on a different aspect of with Kevin China, not him sure. He spoke to us about it in, in New Zealand about, you know, getting more snap, not falling away as much, not just constantly bowling into right handers. And the fact that he's thirty six and working on these new things, evidently he's not he's not he's not saying it for show. He's not it, it, it's not his way of saying, Look, you know, I'm I'm only getting better just like this forty year old bloke over there. <laughs> I think he's that genuine, you know, wanting to move his game forward and feel like he, he hasn't really done that over the last few years. And He I likes it, chatting about that stuff as well, doesn't he? He does, he's, he's, more, more so than ever. And I think it might be more down to maybe he's trust, a bit more trusting of the media, who's always played quite well, I think. Mm. Um, but I, I think it comes just comes from a sincere place of wanting slash realising that he needs to ha- have, you know, a couple of extra strings to his bow. But... Um, yeah, no, exciting. Exciting. It's probably going to help the fact that he's he doesn't have to play every game. I think there was a. I mm. think he he. One of the things that was interesting was he said in 2019 he didn't go into expecting to play every game, but because Anderson gets injured in that first test mm. in that first innings, the less that Edge Beston kind of has to anyway. Um, Tough one and, for and David this, Yeah, well, yeah. Um, and, and I think this time there is an understanding and acceptance from him that he won't have to do that. Yeah, I mean, Stokes has talked about his, his eight seamers yeah. um, for the summer. Uh, away from the seamers, uh, one or two other you know, notable uh, performers and, and things to keep an eye on. Miller, uh, I mean, Zach Crawley scored runs. Uh, a good or a bad thing, depending on your view on Zach Crawley. Oh, it doesn't uh, matter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. Take your pick. Um, and, and the other thing, uh, today, in fact, uh, Johnny Bairstow's back on a pitch. Um, and... You know, there's, there's been a lot of talk about Besto uh, over the uh, well, the last well, his entire career, really. But you know, he obviously broke his leg, uh, lost his place to Harry Brook. How does he get back in the team? Uh, the understanding is that he uh, is is, is going to keep wicket at Yorkshire. He's sort of 
he's told them he's going to keep wicket at Yorkshire because he always keeps wicket when he's playing for Yorkshire. Um, doesn't mean he's going to keep wicket in the tests. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, good problems, uh, as we've talked about with England before. Uh, Crawley getting runs at the top and, and Bairstow uh, champing at the bit to get back in somewhere Indeed. in the middle. Indeed, and just, I'm just keeping tabs on Bairstow. Actually, he's 82 <laughs> not out from 81 balls at okay. the moment. So I think it's safe to say he's <laughs> yeah. back. <laughs> back, belligerent. The, uh, the only ball I've seen so far was it was a bit of a bad miss at second slip, but um, you know it went for four, so he's, he's up and running, <laughs> and off he goes. But you know we, um, yeah, it's no secret that uh, all three of us have had a clo- close encounter with Bester this week at the Wisden dinner. He was he was on in. He was on Which makes it sound, you know, much hairier than it. Well, than I mean, it depend, depending on who you talk to, it's pretty hairy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we, we, every every journalist, miss. every journalist within within the Genubius, uh, within within earshot, is, got got the message that Bairstow is fit. Bairstow will be back. Um, his leg is is probably going to be hurty for a while, but he will play through it because he's bloody minded. And generally speaking, when Bairstow says he's being bloody minded, you believe him. And not only do you believe him, he ends up being bloody-minded and and confounding all expectations. So the very fact he's on the pitch, the very fact he's scoring at more than a runner ball and en route to a, a hundred, albeit for the seconds, uh, Yorkshire. I mean, it's good signs, um, unquestionably good signs. Uh, where I mean, it's difficult difficult times now for for the England selectors, obviously, with um, you know the, the obvious four guys, Ben Folks. Um, Simply because you know someone's got to give, and you and Harry Brook is not the man anymore, um, and you don't really want to shove Brook up to open. And besides, Crawley's in the runs, so he's probably safe. So um, it feels like that's the obvious opening, but we'll we'll see. But the bottom line is he 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 is in he is in the runs already, albeit for the twos, and that's got to be a good sign. He'll be, he'll be back for the first eleven next week and uh, take it from there. But in terms of how how all the cards fall together. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the standout player of the summer so far is Ben Duckett. I think um, Mm. everything that he has done uh, since his recall, obviously that first ridiculous day in Royal Pindy and, you know, century and setting up a 500-run day, uh, he has been the biggest tick of the of the winter and including, of course, in his exploits in Pakistan in in the White Ball series. And now he's just in such a good place. He he is. He's always had this this funky technique that gets angles out of nothing, and now suddenly he's got absolute carte blanche to you know what use the use your use your your snooker clue cue deflections to your heart's content because yeah we 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 back you all the way, and he is flying with that with that confidence. He's a, he's a, he's a lock for that first test. He's locked for the summer, frankly, because that's the way the basketball ethos goes. Once you're in, you don't get dropped, uh, and it's a really good place for him to be in it's um it's 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 a nice place as well because you know his story is a fascinating one you know he had one bad day against bangladesh in 2016 and suddenly he couldn't play spin and never got seen again i mean that was never actually the issue he, he, he was he was always a always a pretty decent player of spin it's just our uh, ashram was a pretty good spinner exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that is rather the rather more the point i think he does he does what england want crawley to do Better than mm. Crawley does it. Better than, better than anyone in English cricket as an opener does it, I think. Um, and the, I mean, the fact that he was young enough when he had that first go has benefited him now because it wasn't just, I suppose, the media scrutiny, which was the issue then. But if you look at how things fell away, you know, there was a couple of drink driving bans. There was, um, it was just like loss of form outright. And 
the move to Nottinghamshire, the move to work on the Peter Moores as well has done him wonders. And I, and I, I said this to him when I interviewed him out in Abu Dhabi before the Pakistan tour. I think the most remarkable thing about him is that he's got older and he hasn't lost any of that impishness. Any of that, you know, a lot of a lot of the shots he plays because of the nature of English cricket. They, you, for want of a better phrase, you, you see players grow out of them, don't you? And he's managed to keep them all and, and just refine them and, and made them. I suppose made them all bankers. Really, it, he was. Uh, you know, he scored one hundred and seventy-seven against Middlesex. There was a short side, and if you were looking at the scorecard and you saw a picture of that that ground you'd be like right he's probably just peppered everything into there if he's not doing it left-handed he's doing it right-handed and, and genuinely very few into that side and he even said like, you know, obviously I was tempted to like just switch my hands over and just pepper it but you know they bowled all right and actually I can hit everywhere else so it, it wasn't a problem um, and to be to be of that sound mind to be that confident in your own ability and even just that grown up which isn't a phrase we use very often when we're talking about Ben Duckett but to be that mature about it and, and see like Team need this, and he said he said the most amazing thing that um, so we we had two days sorry two sessions of play on that first day, the last session got rained off. He was already on a hundred um, going into that last session, and he told us afterwards that he was eyeing up eighty to ninety runs to get to two hundred by the end of play, because that's how we felt. Like he felt pretty comfortable. Everything was in sync. Um, they were knackered, short side as well. Hadn't really taken advantage of it. 89. I was like, oh, what a ridiculous thing to say. But I appreciate the confidence. You look at his scores, and I've covered a few of those games. You look at his scores, that was his nine one seven seven ended up being his, you know, a ninth highest score. There's four double hundreds in that. All the double hundreds think about runner ball as well. So he's clearly he clearly has that and he was just like, oh, actually, yeah, do this. Yeah, I'm, and you know what? Yeah, I, I kind of it was a shame that it rained off because he only added fifty the next day. But that's the place he's in. He's, he's never been more comfortable. He's never been more comfortable. Even Stuart Broad said that he's never seen him in this form. And I, th- I think he's... Ju- certainly, if England win the Ashes, it's because he's had a big summer. Um, we'll very briefly mention another quite um, impressive uh, batting performance, but Ollie Pope, uh, you were there for... Uh, I mean, he was uh, treating Hampshire as he ever does, like his own personal gimps. Yeah, uh, <laughs> his own personal gimps in his own... <laughs> Personal boudoir at the Oval because two down things in the are dungeon. Very very comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Olive Pope is a type to have a boudoir or a gym. <laughs> on reflection, yeah, but, probably um, fair. Yeah. It's funny though. I, I would recommend anyone to go and watch those highlights. Not because they're not just because they're entertaining, but because it was at the Oval. I think it's easy to dismiss it. Oh, Olive Pope's batting at the Oval. Like everyone averages, you know, ninety nine point six eight at the Oval playing for Surrey or whatever it is. Um, but watch them because it's they're astonishing. Like some of the shots he plays are ridiculous, and I don't think we've seen that enough in Test cricket. In part because he hasn't really got to that place in Test cricket, even under this um, you know uh, new management style where he feels comfortable enough to play all those shots. Um, but yeah, no wonderful, wonderful player. I, I'm not too. He put on a brave face, or rather, he you know he he answered questions about whether he'd be a good Ashes captain if Stokes was injured. In the only way he can, by backing himself, for his sake and maybe a little bit for England's sake, I hope that doesn't come to pass. I think he's got, he should have a lot longer in the wing, certainly in terms of growing into leadership's concern. But I do think England need to see a little bit more, basically the, the exciting, expansive part of it. You know, you've done the adult stuff at number three, that's fine. We trust you with that now. Now be the Oli Pope that everyone says you are. Best, so just slap one to point for 97, by the way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but nonetheless, so, the point still stands. Don't, don't want to waste them all. 97 from 88. I mean, why not? Um, one last name I have here written in capitals and bolded. And Vish, you, you um, mentioned him, so I'll probably just throw it straight back to you. But Tom Price, he had a good uh, outing in the, the last round. Yeah, that was <laughs> genuinely incredible because you kind of you see him get that rearguard 100 for Gloucester and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's interesting. This is his maiden first class 100. Right, From okay. 45 for 7, <laughs> his team, I think, when he walked out at number 9. And then it gets to the end of the day and we're filing on the game we're at and someone goes, Tom Price has taken a hat-trick. And then someone else in the box went, no, 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 he scored his maiden first class 100, that's it. He's like, no, 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 he's also <laughs> taken a hat-trick. And luckily, Lawrence Brood, editor of Wisdom, was there and, um, you know, he kind of dialed up his own statisticians and he was like I think that's the first time the whole package has been done in a day certainly people have done them in, in the same match but not everyone has done it on the same day and I think he might be the first pretty uh, pretty impressive I think the 14th man uh, to score 100 and take hat-trick in a first class match so uh, yeah decent um, we should have a, a quick whiz round the IPL as well, I think. I mean, uh, obviously, we've all been paying great attention as uh, profession dictates. Ben Stokes, um, Miller, we've, we've touched on quite a lot on England's Ashes um, prospects and, and what to look out for this summer. Uh, ben Stokes hobbling round uh, Chennai or you know wherever Chennai are playing uh, isn't part of the script. No, it's not <laughs> ideal. I mean, I suppose it's better than him playing and breaking your finger trying to take a catch in the outfield and being out for months so you know that, that that's something I I don't know it's it's a deeply odd one everyone thought it was his knee but it seems it's his toe or heel or something I'm, I'm not, not entirely sure which part of him is, is, is aching at the moment but it's right it's a different bit another bit's gone another bit's gone <laughs> yeah, exactly. oh it's not his knee thank god yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he's basically yeah, he's, he's falling apart in, in, in real time but I, they're, they're, he could be hobbling anywhere he, you know, if he was in England, he'd be hobbling around, not playing. He's happened to be in Chennai, hobbling around, not playing. I'm not sure actually it matters deeply where he's not playing. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, uh, it's the a philosophical IPL, question. The IPL is actually quite a professional outfit these days. Let, let's face it. You know, they they are they they know how to manage their players. They know how to, you know, they have the doctors and the medics and the physios and everything else you would expect professional outfits to have. And he will be being looked after because he's a he's a very very valuable asset who they paid top dollar for. So. Um, it's not ideal, but he's getting rest, which I suppose is, is, is not the worst scenario for England. He will be hungry as and when he comes back, but yeah, it's unavoidable to point out the clock is ticking and uh, that Ireland test is barely a month away now, which is a bit terrifying, but uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we are, we're closing in. Um, um, but yeah, there's literally nothing to say. He, 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 is, he is not playing, uh, and in so not playing, he's not risk of serious injury I think <laughs> well uh, no sounds like it's a good thing we'll we'll leave that there um, Joffre Archer missing several games with uh, sore elbow um, I guess it's more worrying <laughs> yes yeah. um, he did actually play at the weekend I think where, where, where are we now but he um, he has been back in action he spoke to our colleague Matt Roller um, and as ever seems slightly enigmatic about you know, what the, what the prospects meant for the summer but um he he uh, i mean vish anything around Joffre's elbow is kind of if this was a different sport the sun would be printing you know pictures and asking us to pray for <laughs> metatarsals and whatnot but, yeah, um, yeah. I, I suppose we've all kind of given up on the thought that Joffre is going to play three or four tests this summer 
Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I don't think that was ever going to be the case. I think if he was going to play a test this summer, it's likely to be one of the last two. Um, he certainly they want him to play some red ball cricket before he's even in contention, just to see how it holds up. Um, I don't think England are, th- are that worried. I think you know the presence of Ollie Stone and, and Mark Wood. Well, the fact that they're both fit helps a little bit in terms of there's no need to rush. Mark Wood's been ill, but yeah, he's been uh, ill. He's not been. He's not been injured. He, he, was yeah, the, yeah. he did have the purple cap for a bit. He did. Uh, yeah, the leading yeah, wicket taker in the IPL. Heat, IPL yeah. um, he he's a very sickly boy as well. So I don't think anyone should worry too much about that. He's always <laughs> sick with something. Um, Tell me, he's not up to. Uh, and he's flying, a full he's flying over the birth of his child as well. So exactly. He's, he's, yeah. he's out, out of yeah. the firing line. So another so one who's not going to injured. So he'll be. You know, he won't be sick, but then he'll be tired because he won't be getting any sleep. So again, nothing to worry about. Um, but the thing with Jofra that is interesting is that Ben Langley, who was formerly at the ECB, who's done a lot of work with the fast bowlers, is the Mumbai Indians' um, lead physio. So I don't think the ECB are particularly worried about that because they're in constant conversations with him as well, as as they are with the people at Chennai um, who are working with Stokes. So they're a lot more comfortable now than I think they would have been three or four years ago. You know, there's a lot of talk, talk about like English coaches being over there and like whether it's Vikram Solanke or James Foster. But actually now a lot of the backroom staff are also English who have come from the English game who are able to relay a lot more information, I suppose, than is available publicly anyway. Because even Stephen Fleming talking about Ben, ben Stokes, I mean, people who are flippant about the IPL won't get it. But because it's such a, you know, it's such a constant... Um, ever moving, ever evolving beast, that they they really do keep their cards as close to the chest as possible. And even it's only now that the ECB are able to get more information out of those IPL teams. So, you know, it could be worse. The fact that he played is obviously a, a big deal. But I think they they've been ex- exchanging of notes anyway that I think there's um they're both working towards the same thing with Joffre in particular. Um there's elsewhere I mean quite a lot of English involvement uh, at the IPL Miller um Sam Curran has been captaining uh, Punjab Kings. Liam Livingston's fit again, it seems. Joss Butler was scoring runs, not been scoring so many runs recently. Harry Brook scored a lot of runs in one innings and not many runs in any of his other innings. Uh, he's got his maiden hundred there um, for Sunrisers. And, and Joe Root hasn't been playing at all. But um, He hasn't yeah. been on socials, though, hasn't he? He's doing a lot of... He's, yeah, he's, had, he's having a way lot of time on socials. Yeah. <laughs> No, you're right. They're, they're a quick sweep, sweep around. I, I suppose um, perhaps the most interesting, just because he's the most pertinent name for what's coming up, is Brooke. Um, I loved his thoroughly dismissive response to scoring some runs. It was obviously, what was it, 50-odd balls? It was an absolute beast of an innings. And basically said at the end of it, well, all the Indian fans have been giving me pelters when I did badly, so I don't give a damn what they think of me now. It's like, <laughs> well, fair, fair play, mate. I mean, uh, say, say, say the quiet bit out loud, why don't you? But, you know, he, he's, he's blunt, he doesn't give a damn, and he will keep smoking it as long as the ball's in his arc. So, um, you know, he's not had the greatest time, but that one innings is proof that that money is not wasted and um, he's young enough to be a massive investment going forward. So, you know, it's thanks to that one innings it's it's just a continuation of the harry brook story frankly this winter it's it's it, you know obviously breaking breaking through in the in the white ball series in pakistan then absolutely tearing it up during the tests and and now this and debut caps in everywhere um it, it's yeah it's all all taking all taking shape for him um and as you mentioned there sam curran i suppose the other interesting note just uh, again the other big the biggest of the of the purchases at the auction and um 
and little Sammy Curran as the captain. I mean, it's a, and, and doing very well, to, frankly. He's, 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 his death bowling is, continues to be a phenomenon. Uh, just that combination of absolute certainty about what he's going to do with the ball and sufficient doubt in the brain of the person at the other end of what is going to come out, allied to his left arm angle, plus that bouncer that is always spot on when he, when he skids it through. Um, he's an incredible operator, and he's also last game he, he's smashed a twenty-five ball fifty, I think. So you know he's he's uh, he's doing everything everything right to justify his price tag as well. So uh, on balance, I think England, you know, as you say, Joe Root's having a great time on social, but on balance, I think England are, are living up to what was clearly a very lofty billing after what was it, fifteen players, I think, bought in the IPL auction, and pretty much with the exception of Root and Stokes, who who are on the sidelines, pretty much all of them are. are Justifying the price tag. David Willey had a good day the other day as well. You know they're all they're all at it. I would say put Sam Curran down for two Ashes tests as well. I reckon. You heard it here first. <laughs> right, chaps. With all due respect, uh, you've done a fair bit of talking, but now it's time to hear a bit more about what's going on in the women's game. This is a small excerpt from a segment recorded by our colleagues Valkyrie Baines and Fellows Munda, which will go up in full later in the week. Here they are, the ladies who switch. But are uh, to me that. Uh, women's T20 World Cup feels like a very long time ago. I don't know about if it's the same for you, but um, a lot's happened in the lead up uh, and then post that for Danae Van Niekirk. And you've pulled together a, a piece on her that's coming out this week. What's uh, what's the latest and what's it all about? Yeah, thanks, Vox. It's nice to see you, although in uh, slightly different weather conditions. It is absolutely freezing here in the Western Cape. And by freezing, I mean 15 degrees, which is like summer for you guys. Don't uh, talk to me about freezing. It was two degrees when we woke up this morning. Thank oh. you very much. <laughs> and we got a nice new name. So thanks, Alan. That's very cool. I like it a lot. Um, but yeah, the, the Dane van Nikkeek piece, actually, it, it feels much longer than the Women's World Cup in terms of my historical memory, because we actually wanted to profile her before the 2022 50 over Women's World Cup, which was actually supposed to be a 2021 50 over Women's World Cup. And so we interviewed her before that, just on captaincy. She'd done such great stuff at the 100, where she'd led the Oval Invincibles to the title She'd done really well in the WBBL, although she didn't captain there. And she'd done really well with South Africa, kind of coming to the fore at that 2017 World Cup. We didn't publish the interview because she then broke her ankle and couldn't play in the World Cup. So we kept it. We re-interviewed her before the 2023 T20 World Cup in the hope that she'd come back. She was really positive. She'd been running well. She'd lost a lot of weight. The ankle had healed. She was pivoting nicely on that foot. And then she failed her time trial and she didn't make the squad and we held the interview back and thought we'd keep it for her comeback. And alas, there will be no comeback. She's retired. She's gone. She's going to be in England playing regional cricket, playing at the 100. And so it's kind of now become a career retrospective. And I guess, I mean, you were here in South Africa. You saw the discussion and the drama around should she play, shouldn't she play, should an exception be made for an exceptional player? And then she keeps saying, you know, I don't want a free pass. I want to prove myself. And so we've tied all of that together. It, it's a piece, I think, that hopefully conveys the, the sense of regret, but also that, that celebrates Dane, the player. And I'm sure you would have seen that there's a lot of reverence and respect for her. But at the same time, that South African women's team got to a World Cup final 
no team has got there before without her. And so I guess there's a sense of moving on. And I don't know if you got that impression when you were here. Yeah, um, very much so. And it's really interesting you use the term moving on because now for her, I mean, she's moving on to a completely new phase of her career now. As you mentioned, she's going to start playing in the England domestic competition. She's playing for the Sunrisers in the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy. She'll be with them between May and the end of July when she'll then join up with Oval Invincibles again for the 100. So she's, yeah, she's basically in that next phase of her career franchise and domestic leagues around um, around the world. And interestingly, too, with the, the domestic leagues, the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy's got a very distinctly South African flavour this year. Uh, lovely stuff. And we'll be hearing more from Valkyrie and Furdos throughout the summer. Um, gents, any final thoughts? Excited by the prospect of a Saudi Arabian Premier League? Yeah. Following yeah. Ireland closely in, uh, in Sri Lanka? I mean, definitely the, the latter, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, God knows they 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 came came for the golf and we didn't care about the golf and now they're coming for the cricket and it's a little bit more worrying. But uh, you know, <laughs> cross up we come to it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Save that for for a future pod. Okay, that will do us uh, for this early season leg stretch. There's still almost two months until the start of the Ashes, but the temperature will soon be rising. That or will have put on another layer. We'll be back for more again soon, but until then, my thanks to Miller and Vish and to you all for tuning in to the Switch It podcast on the ESPN Quick Info.com.